Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So, if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, The Honey & Co. My name is Itamar Sulovic. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food. And we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice. And we sit down and have a longer chat. We cook from their books and from their culture. And this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. We had such a fun night tonight with Sig Johansson, who's just published the book Solo. It's a book about cooking for oneself. We've learned how a degree in anthropology will launch you into a food career. We talked a lot about fish finger sandwiches and the best way to make them. We talked a little bit about Scandinavian food and a lot about global food. It was a tremendous night. I hope you enjoy listening. Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Sig Johansson, for coming. It's not pronounced Sig. It's Singa, like sing a but for the purposes of this evening, and you know, I've known you for how long? Since we opened Honey and Co. Yeah, a and it's while. always been Sig. So I think we're just going to go with Sig tonight. I think that's all right. Everyone else okay calls me Sig. <laughs> we are especially excited to have Sig with us. The book that came out, like we said, uh, expertly photographed by the lovely Patricia Neven, uh, is a very, very winning book and with a very, very winning premise for me but we'll get to that later. Uh, we're going to ask Sig to tell us a little bit, how did you get into this crazy business of, <laughs> of food writing? Well, wow, that's quite a question. Um, it's a big one. I, so I grew up... We start them at the moment. <laughs> we take the big general questions. I grew up in Norway, um, just across the North Sea. Like in the wilds of Norway? In the wilds or, of Norway, yeah. I was, I was raised by wolves. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> and th- this is where you got your cooking we used skills. We used to hunt yeah. rabbits, yeah. No. yeah. Um, no, my grandparents, my Norwegian grandparents, had a farm on the west coast of Norway in the fjords. It sounds very idyllic. Um, and, uh, sounds cold. It was, co- it, was, it was cold most of the year. Um, they only spent the summers on the farm. They, uh, the rest of the year they were in Bergen, which is the city nearby. And uh, we used to, as grandchildren, we get roped into picking berries and, you know, making apple sauce and basically just slave labor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather uh, taught us commerce because we had to sell everything on the, on the, on the road, on the nearby road to the passing German tourists. Really? So, Did yeah, you have we, like a little stand? Yeah, we had a little stand. We sold them strawberries uh, at a hefty markup. Um, well, you, you can't <laughs> say this 
Yeah, well, it is ideal. <laughs> I mean, they were organic, yeah. so, you know. Um, and anyway, I came from a food-loving family on both sides, my, my mother's side and my father's side. And then um, I went to university and I did a very academic degree. I, I studied Japanese and then um, hated it. I loved Japan and I loved Japanese as a language, but I didn't like classical Japanese. It was very dry and academic. And so I changed to anthropology, which is also quite academic. But yeah, um, it doesn't um, sound much <laughs> juicier. <laughs> it doesn't sound much juicier. The reality is it was actually very juicy. We had wonderful lecturers from all over the world and I learned so much. I'm naturally curious about other cultures and people. I mean, the study of people is, well, anthropology. And uh, so you learn about, you know, tribes in Africa and all over the world, you know, um, Papua New Guinea, like all these incredible places and people that, you know, I'd never been to and I was just curious. And uh, anyway, I didn't really know what to do with my degree. So I decided to apply to law school, which seemed like a sensible thing to do after <laughs> university. Um, failed all my exams to get into law school because I'm a bit of an idiot. Um, <laughs> I wasn't very good at being tested on the law. <laughs> That's not a euphemism for anything, by the way. <laughs> I'm not like a shady criminal in the waiting. Um, but I just, I think it probably wasn't meant for me. And uh, so I had a bit of a kind of mid-20s crisis or early 20s crisis where I thought, oh my God, I'm you know two years out of university and I don't know what I'm doing. I've had like two gap years. Um, you know, okay, I speak some languages. That's about it. <laughs> Useless um, arts degree. And uh, anyway, I kind of fell into food because I was I was given a very small inheritance, a tiny, tiny one that was enough to pay for a year at least school of food and wine. Oh, and wow. So I spent a year learning how to cook properly um, and really cook properly. They teach That's you. That's an amazing school. It's a wonderful school. And they, you know, they kind of break you down like the military. You know, everyone has to start from scratch. You have to you know, learn all the French techniques, the kind of classic techniques of cuisine, and, and uh, it was a great year. I mean, it... it they have yeah. amazing staff lunches there upstairs yeah, in, the, in the staff room. They do. I'll They're wonderful. This. Yeah. Um, I have a lot I of time for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think we all do. Um, and yeah, I just, I've, I kind of just fell... I mean, I was already interested in food. I was that kind of nerdy person who was just intrigued by food and culture in general. And so this was a good way of kind of adding the practical element of learning how to cook properly. And I was, I, we were talking about this earlier, but I, um, after that, I thought, okay, well, now I really need to, you know, put the foot on the, so on the gap pedal. Year, gap year, gap year, gap year, gap year, By this point, my friends were like, God, you really are just a lady who lunches, aren't you, in the waiting? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was and like, no, I'm said, the lady yes, who cooks lunch. <laughs> how do I make a career out of that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do I make a career out of being a lady who lunches? Um, so after, well, towards the end of my time at Leeds, I'd done lots of stages in restaurants, you know, places like with Ottolenghi. Um, you know, Rick Stein's, like great restaurants. I learned oh. a lot. Um, Henry Harris at Racine, you know, really wonderful chefs who I learned so much from. You learn more from a chef in a day in a kitchen in a restaurant than you do in like three months at cookery school. Yeah. I mean, it, you pack yeah. so much in. That kind of embodied learning is amazing. Yeah. And so I, I wrote to lots of people, applied for jobs, as you do, and most people wrote back and said, sure, we'll hire you for nothing. I was like, great. Um, <laughs> that's a career move. Yeah, that's a real career move. Well, congratulations. Uh, and my parents were kind of freaking out by the stage. And I also wrote to Fiona Beckett, who you, we have a mutual friend in. Fiona's the Guardian wine writer. She also writes for Decanter, and she's a wonderful writer, and, and she's been a great mentor to me. She actually yeah, wrote... I mean, she's, she's so much more just... Uh, if anyone doesn't know, Fiona Beckett is so much more yeah. than a wine writer. She's a renaissance woman. Yeah, she is. She's wonderful. She's a traveler and a food writer and a great cook and yeah. a, just a lovely... And just a very kind, 
yeah. generous person, really, like a, a heart of gold. And she wrote back and she said, um, Dear Signa, I, I love your resume, but I'm really intrigued by the fact that you play football. Um, and so we bonded over our love of football. She's a Liverpool fan. Um, back then I was a Man U fan. I'm not supposed to admit that because my husband's in the audience and we're now Arsenal fans. <laughs> yeah, you go, Gunners. <laughs> um, but I was, I was... It didn't sound forced at <laughs> all. It didn't sound forced no. at all. This is on the record. Um, and so we bonded over our love of football, but also, you know, she was in the food and drink industry and she took me under her wing. She hired me. I did some freelance work for her. Uh, she sent me on. She dispatched me, basically, to work on her behalf. So when she couldn't cover something, I would go and write about it for her and it was great it was a way to get my foot in the door um, get paid work and also make contacts in the industry um, and also I mean what an endorsement you, you couldn't ask for a better exactly I, I, I mean I've said this before but I think mentors are really underrated you know every, everyone should have a mentor at some stage in their life and I wish I'd had one when I was at university you know I wish I'd had one five years before but how do you get one you know that's the, it's not like it's just luck I think you find yeah. you, know, you stumble onto someone and they take you under their wing so Fiona was brilliant, and she still is. We're good friends, and we worked together on several books. Our first book that we worked on together was um, The Ultimate Student Cookbook, <laughs> which is really fun. Uh, it was a great way of Featuring lots of baked beans, <laughs> I'm guessing. There wasn't a single baked bean dish in that book, actually. That, that that's a the, triumph. That was the, that tri that was triumph. <laughs> that was the challenge. Spaghetti um, hoops? No, no <laughs> spaghetti hoops. Although there's nothing wrong with spaghetti hoops. No, I know. Um, can't fault them. But lots of, you know, kind of frugal, uh, like, yeah, good recipes to make if you're on a budget that, you know, it meant that you can actually cook something that was nourishing and delicious, but without having to spend lots of money, which I think is a, a life skill that anyone can benefit from, not just students. You know, we, we all benefit from that. So I learned a lot working on that book. We also worked together on The Frugal Cook. This was the start of the financial crisis in 20, what was it, 2009? Yeah. Uh, which was also a really good experience, um, thinking more about how to economize, you know, be careful with ingredients, making the most of the off cuts, you know, the kinds of ingredients that are now very fashionable in, in food, but back then were still a little bit niche, a bit strange, you know, who would want to cook a tail? <laughs> no, but <laughs> the bones, the, this is know. the the kind of thing I'm, I'm sure for you, maybe growing up in, in quite a rural environment, you still had these traditions of cooking from scratch and cooking everything. Yeah. What is now kind of all these uh, buzzwords of, you know, nose to tail and, and foraging and, and the, the new one is root to leaf. <laughs> exactly. Root to leaf, yeah. Root to leaf. Using the entire plant. <laughs> uh, which are kind of, you know, second nature in every rural society is, is an mm -hmm. art that we lost. Exactly. In a way. Yeah. I mean... Elizabeth Luard, who wrote that wonderful book on the modern European peasant or modern European peasant cooking, I think it's it's like a real tome in that field. It's I find that really interesting, you know, looking at other cultures and how they made the most of the ingredients that they had available and that were in season because they had to. It was just out of necessity, you know, to make the most of those things and not waste anything. Um, and it's just very timely, you know. We, we talk about sustainability and the kind of ethics of food, but actually, it's no good talking about that and binning half the stuff that's in your fridge because it's out of date, or you know, you haven't really thought through what you're going to cook with it and planned, you know. So it's it all sounds very nerdy and structured, but actually, you kind of have to be to be a cook. I mean, this is and we'll come to yeah. it in a moment with solo, but you know, if you're cooking for yourself or if you're cooking for other people, you do need to think it through a little bit. You can't just kind of lurch from one thing to the next on a whim you know it, it takes a bit of planning to make the most of those ingredients um, whether you're on a budget or not um, yeah but I think that's and and we'll maybe we'll get we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about solo but this kind of 
having your own domestic food culture mm -hmm. that all homes used to have maybe even 50 years ago is something that we don't have anymore you know we don't we don't have the okay my leftover stew is going to be today's pasta and this pasta is going to be tomorrow's pasta mm -hmm. bake and the leftovers from that's going to be my lunch yeah it's just something that's not so much in a habit of us anymore mm -hmm. you know every we cooking is kind of an event you know we buy for it and then we use half a carrot because the recipe says <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah no it's true i mean those are the, those are the lost skills um i mean darina allen wrote that wonderful book the lost skills of cooking or the last cookery you're skills. a real yeah. food geek I, I like mean i love all this total stuff. Food it's, geek. I, it's so i find it so interesting yeah. um it kind of bores everyone else but <laughs> i find it interesting um but i, I do think there's a as an argument to be made you know that's food has become so fashionable and there's lots of buzzwords around food you know when we talk about sustainability and ethics and organic and seasonality and all these things like none of that matters if you don't have the skills to actually be able to implement those things in your kitchen, you know, to be able to ethically cook like someone who's not going to waste your food. And, you know, okay, we're all guilty of it. There are times when I've dug out a, an aubergine that's been lurking at the back of the, the fridge for a couple of months and I think, uh-oh, well, that's a puddle now. <laughs> it's you know, it's <laughs> yeah. a wasted aubergine. We, I mean, we all had that, have that fizzy potato. That yeah, we, yeah, exactly. Ooh. It's sprouted several Ooh. new potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a farm um, now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. you kind of cut your teeth in the financial crises on... on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You made your career I, on everyone's uh, loss. Well, it. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a cynical world, but yes, I did. But um, it's uh, but then you kind of, you know, catapulted into this world. Uh, well, I was really lucky. I, I, th I mean, thanks to Fiona. So I had those two books under my belt and freelance work that I was doing. And then I set up a blog, which is, I know, grown, eye roll. Um, but I set up a food blog in 2010. 2009 I think it was um, called Scandalicious and really it was kind of tongue-in-cheek it wasn't meant to be anything serious it was just a way of sharing recipes that I'd grown up with especially baking recipes because I love to bake um, from Scandinavia and it just felt quite timely people were gen generally interested in you know the, the food from the north um, there was just the start of that whole Nordic noir movement you know people were just interested in in Scandinavia I guess and uh, and I, I sort of tapped into that and, you know, because I had this blog, I, I was under the radar, on the radar of, of a few publishers and they got in touch and said, in fact, we share a publisher, yeah. Elizabeth Hallett, she, um, from Salt Yard Books, she got in touch and, <clears throat> and we met and discussed some ideas and honestly, I feel like I was really lucky because I didn't have to go through that quite painful process of yeah. pitching to lots of different people and being rejected and so I, I, you know, I do count my blessings. I was really lucky with Elizabeth and she commissioned two books for me, both Scandalicious books. One was on the secrets of Scandinavian cooking, so more generally about the food and the culture. And the second one um, about baking, which was, of course, you know, I mean, we share a love of baking, yeah. <laughs> like breads and um, pastries and cakes. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely part of our culture. We like our carbs in Scandinavia. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, long, we, dark all, we, all like, we all like <laughs> the carbs. Yeah. We all like the carbs. <laughs> This yeah. is what they're there for, to be like. Yeah, women have thighs because we actually need them, you know, to get around. <laughs> it's dark and cold and we have to go skiing. For insulation. <laughs> for insulation as well. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the Scandalicious books, I think, you know, like you said, this was a time that, you know, there was a lot coming from Scandinavia, especially, you know, not only for, for food, but a lot of food, you know, suddenly there was Noma and, you mm -hmm. know, everything that's hip and happening came from Scandinavia. But that was very restaurant focused mm -hmm. and really there was no one looking into domestic traditions 
I don't think, except for it's kind of delicious. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, I think we're, we're similar in that we're, we're both very interested in those, in the home cooking and the domestic traditions. And what I loved about Scandalicious is how accessible it is mm -hmm. and how easy it is. Oh, thank that you. it's not, <laughs> you know, because if, if you think, oh, yeah, I need to forage now for, for <laughs> moss and... and <laughs> Uh, <laughs> pine needles and all these things that would you'd never do. Yeah, this kind of delicious is very, you know, very easy and very accessible. And I think that was kind of maybe the heart of its success. Apparently, I I, I mean I, that's a good question. I I don't know in terms of well that's a good question because obviously I'd grown up with those ingredients I tried to steer clear of anything that was too esoteric and wild and foraged because I knew that that wasn't an option for most people you know unless you happen to live near some blackberry bushes in August you know you're unlikely to to go blackberry picking yeah. um, uh, in the summertime and I think also I'm, I'm yeah I mean it's if everyone foraged for their food in Scandinavia, there would be no food left in the forest and in the wild. So it is still kind of a pastime rather than a necessity. Yeah, they do have supermarkets in they, Scandinavia. They do have supermarkets. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Nobody yeah. uses them, but they're, yeah, they're there. Yeah, they do have supermarkets. Yeah. And, you know, the food culture isn't perfect. I mean, if you go to more remote parts of, particularly in Norway, um, you know, the food is not ideal. You know, it's the kind of stuff you get in spar. So a lot of things that would be yeah, made, like processed food. Processed food. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there are definitely issues there, but I got in a lot of trouble actually when scandal the first scandalish not in a lot of trouble, but I got, had a very grumpy letter from someone when I made a flippant comment about how Nor in Norway the best food is is home cooked food. It's not restaurant food. There isn't the restaurant culture. It's only really started now, the last five ten years, that you have interesting restaurants in Norway. Um, sure, we had fancy restaurants that you'd go to once a year for. Someone's for a special birthday. celebration, um, but it was usually kind of Frenchified, classic <laughs> cuisine, which was you know it was very fancy and very expensive, and you didn't go out on a Tuesday night just on a whim. You know it was like you planned on going there and you got dressed up. And uh, anyway, I said you know in Norway for the longest time actually the best food is grandma's food. You know it's grandma's cooking, and that's what I grew up with. Um, it wasn't it wasn't ref rarefied fine dining. <laughs> and what were you, did you get grief? Oh uh, yeah, from I had a couple of grumpy emails. Host of Norway. Norwegian restaurateurs. <laughs> yeah, something like that. You know, how dare you? It's insulting. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You're only half Norwegian. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that was the like, that was yeah. the biggest insult. Did you have obviously. to did you have to issue a birth certificate like Barack Obama? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, well, I wasn't actually I wasn't born in Norway, so that wouldn't have helped. <laughs> I was born in Germany. <laughs> if you were, you wouldn't be slagging um, off restaurant culture. Though. No, exactly. But um. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, it's been an interesting 10 years, I think, for Scandinavian food. Uh, it's, you know, we do have some brilliant, I mean, I, I love Trina Hanneman, for example, who navigates a similar world to, to you and Sarit. You know, she's a chef, but she also um, makes wonderful recipes for home cooks. You know, she's really, um, I think she's one of the more inspirational Scandinavian food writers today. 
uh, and she's still producing brilliant books. In fact, you know, I was saying this earlier, but I I found myself after about five years talking about Scandinavian food that I'd said everything I wanted to say. You know, that was it. It was like, okay, there's only so much gravelux you can talk about and cinnamon <laughs> buns you can kind of make lewd jokes about. You know, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't become more any more profound or interesting as you go on. Because y- yeah. you were, because y- you had the two Scandinavian spoken. Hege was kind of a trajectory of being, you know, the the poster girl maybe of Scandinavian cooking, and you kind of said enough. Enough, exactly. I yeah. think you have to know when to quit. You have to quit ahead. <laughs> quit while you're ahead. Um, and uh, not quit, <laughs> but like change direction. Um, yeah, I think changing direction and also recognizing that. Any in any career, you have to evolve. You can't you can't rest on your laurels. And it would have been very easy for me to coast through another couple of books. I could have easily pitched, you know, maybe two more books on Nordic food culture or you know Nordic cocktails or the wonders of dill, um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> the garlic of the north. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it's fine. I think you can. Um, I'm just because I'm an, a, quite a naturally curious, impatient person. I find I have to. I need to. I need other stimulate. You know, I need. I need more stimulating material to work with. You know, I can't just do one thing over and over. I know some people can do that to perfection, and I just. I just get tired of it. Um, yeah. So it's. You know, it was time to move on. And then this. This baby came solo. This baby came, yes. Um, which was, which was, like I said, it was a surprise because it was quite a, a departure. It was quite yeah. a departure. Uh, it was, it, it was a real joy to work on. Actually, I loved working on this book because, again, it allowed me to play with ingredients that I couldn't in my previous books. You know, I couldn't really use a lot of garlic because it's not technically part of the Scandinavian food culture. Although people do obviously use garlic, but traditionally you wouldn't have. Um, I, you know, I couldn't use like Thai fish sauce or um, spices, you know, pomegranate molasses, things that, you know, that I love. I love, I mean, I have them in my own kitchen. So ingredients that I, you know, I felt like I just shied away from a little bit professionally. Um, now I felt like, oh my goodness. You know, I freedom. Can freedom. I yeah, can no more dill. I can, I can put miso in everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was a really, it was a great opportunity to work with ingredients that actually, are, as you know, as you know, they give flavor, they have a lot of Uh, you can have multiple uses for you know they're very flexible ingredients um, and again to go back to full circle to talking about some of the themes that Fiona and I explored in the in the student cookbook and the frugal cookbook which is the idea of making the most of the ingredients that you have you know trying not to waste too much and not just buying ingredients for one recipe and then throwing half of it out later because you know you just as you say use half a carrot <laughs> in a recipe and then it's sitting in the back of your fridge for the next week um, So yeah, it was a really great challenge to work on. I think it's really important. Let, to let me just tell these guys <laughs> in case there's someone don't, that doesn't know this book. Solo is a book about cooking for oneself, cooking for your own. That's right. Yeah. Which is, I I just love the idea of it because there's something so nice about cooking for yourself. I think it's not. I think often you know when you have the night by yourself or you know if you're at home around lunchtime and you pack you peckish then you'd put a toast or you wouldn't necessarily make a big fuss and you don't need to make a big fuss but there is something really nice about making yourself a little meal that is just for you that you know exactly you know how much chili you want mm-hmm. and exactly how much cheese you like on that and all yeah. the things that are just for your taste and I just love that idea <laughs> I just love that 
concept and I, I love the feeling behind it because I think for me you do need to be a little bit greedy and self-indulgent in order to, to cook exactly I yeah. think there is you know that's the base of it and if you can spoil yourself then you're much better at spoiling others maybe? I think so I think that's it it's an act of kindness to yourself but it's also when you do cook for other people you've kind of practice things you know you've given them a bit of a test run on yourself and you think okay this might work for an audience I know that because I love garlic for example I, I will always put more garlic in a dish that I cook for myself than I would for a group of people because not everyone is a fan of you know yeah. <laughs> reeking of garlic for days afterwards um, sorry to anyone who thinks I'm reeking of garlic because I do eat a lot of it um, but I I, again, yeah, chili, herbs, lemon, you know, you can really, you can just go for it with the flavors. And and I think also, it sound, this might sound pretentious, but I do think it's a gentle act of empowerment, you know, to say that I am worthwhile, you know, to, to stand back and say that my time and my, you know, my nourishment, um, looking after myself is a worthwhile endeavor. You know, it's not something that you should shun just because you think, oh, I'm on my own, yeah. you know, it's a bit sad, I'll just get a takeaway. And it's... It's very much about those little habits that you change, you know, switching the kind of habits that we all fall into. You know, we all do this. Um, you know, you, you, you resort to the path of least resistance at times, especially when it's cold and it's dark outside and you can't be bothered to... The end of the long day. The end of the long day. You're tired, low on energy. You know, there's lots of reasons not to cook. And I hope that with this book, um, readers will think that, oh, actually, I've got two or three good reasons to cook for myself. You know, it doesn't have to. I'm not expecting people to cook everything from the book immediately. That's no one does that. I don't cook from every book that that I pick up, every new book that I get. Um, but I think if it just gives you a little bit of inspiration to say, OK, next time I'm on my own on, on, a, on a, I don't know, Tuesday night or even a Monday night. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this for myself. I'm gonna you know it's, I'm worth it. Sounds <laughs> very cheesy, but I how am. did you come up with with the idea? Did, was it something that you really wanted to do for a while? Or? I well I've loved cooking for myself. I mean I have done for years since I was a teenager. Um, it was actually it actually started when I was about 13 and my mother went on strike um, cooking lunches. <laughs> <laughs> she actually stopped making lunches for my father and I because we were so demanding and so critical. Um, I mean, we're just horrible. And uh, fair dues to her. Fair dues to, to her. Say. And she's like, "Well, screw you. You can make your own lunches," which subsequently we did. Well, I did because my father was like, "Yeah, right." Um, so I had to start making lunches for us, and it actually did force me to think about what I wanted to eat and be more creative. You know, I didn't have to rest on, I didn't have to rely on her to to do it. And sh I mean, you know, because I went to an international school as well, so we had kids. We have kids from Thailand, Japan all over the world and they had the most beautiful you know bento box lunches that were perfectly made with like fans of pickles and I mean just incredible lunchbox inspiration um, and there I was with my you know three day old fibrous bread with <laughs> a, like a token pat of butter and like a half slice of salami I mean, was, you had to up your game I had to up my game yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was for the country <laughs> for the country for Norway yes yeah. <laughs> the, the Norwegian chauvinist in me <laughs> kicked in um, so yeah actually it forced me to and I ever since I've, I've just made food for myself you know it, it, as you say you have to be greedy you have to be naturally greedy I think to to cook for yourself and, and want to spoil yourself as well um, so I guess the opportunity came up when my publisher um Carol Tonkinson at Bluebird, she, she dropped me an email shortly after the Hygge book came out, and she said, what do you think about solo cooking? And I said, I wrote back immediately and said, I love solo cooking. I'm a very keen solo cook. You know, I cook for myself all the time. And uh, 
And she said, I think there might be something in that. So it actually came from her rather than from me. And I thought this is a really fantastic and opportunity. It chimed with you. It really chimed immediately. I thought, yeah, why not? Um, I'd been thinking about doing a drinks book, which is now what I'm working on. Um, and this felt like a good segue, you know, into that away from the Scandinavian food focus to something that was... Even though, like, maybe cook for yourself, I can get behind make cocktails for yourself maybe here yeah. maybe dangerous territory I mean, dr <laughs> drinks for one yeah, yeah. i mean I, I didn't do a drinks uh, chapter in solo terribly sorry for anyone who's hoping to get cocktails <laughs> for one um but you know again i don't think there's uh, there's a lot of, uh, it's funny with drinks especially at the moment because there's a lot of you know rightly people are concerned about the health effects of drinking um but i'm a moderate drinker so i have to navigate that that language very carefully when I talk about drinks because I actually do make drinks for myself. You I know? do. I, and I, I, it's not because I'm a sad alcoholic. <laughs> You're a, a happy alcoholic. Yeah, I'm a happy alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy. I mean, <laughs> this is gin. Yeah, this is straight up gin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it felt like it felt like a really great break from Scandinavia and from thinking about, you know, um, nice furnishings, which I've been thinking a lot about during the Higa book, <laughs> you know, furnishings, beautiful things, you know, the culture of Scandinavian living. Um, it's like, okay, I'm done with that. Next step. What's next? <laughs> Reading through this book, it's very obvious that a lot of these recipes are kind of, you know, things that you've done over and over and over again, you know, that are kind of staples. And then some things are maybe for this book or mm -hmm. w was it all from your kitchen or from like your your favorites i'd say about three quarters of the recipes were ones that i already had in my repertoire i guess um and then and some of them had to be scaled down because they might have been dishes that i'd made for other people you know they um it, i mean it was so fun just recipe testing for one because you never you don't waste anything you no. know, with uh, as anyone who knows who's written a cookbook you often waste food because you have to make it for four or six people you know to to fit the recipe and well, um, what we find working with Patricia Neven, <laughs> there are never any leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pat, Patsy's uh, kin, kin, gobble, yeah. gobble. Yeah, she's yeah. a kindred spirit. <laughs> she cleans the plates. <laughs> she's licking it. <laughs> yeah. And she's always so happy with whatever you give her. You know, we would try a recipe and we say, oh, no, we can't do this. And she would be like, mm, this is delicious. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> she's your best audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. She would eat anything. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> we love Patsy. <laughs> It is nice to taste to test for one, yeah. and it's actually very contained. Very contained. You make less mess. Yeah. Uh, it's easier to shop for because you're not necessarily, you know, as a, going back to that subject we talked about earlier, is that you're not wasting ingredients. Um, I one thing with the book I tried to do is make sure that if there are any ingredients that you had to buy for more than one person, i.e., you can't buy chickpeas for one person necessarily. Even a tin of chickpeas would be enough two for two meals, yeah, yeah two meals um is tried to give suggestions under recipes for what you could what else you could do you could either go to page x for this recipe or you know just here's how to spin you know if you've got a little bit of leftover here's how to spin it the next day because i i actually love leftovers i know people get really it's quite divisive some people absolutely hate leftovers but i love them because i love yeah. just being able to like munch on something the next day and not have to think about cooking you yeah know, everything is better all, for breakfast yeah exactly yeah. everything exactly you can yeah. shove everything into a tortilla or a you know a bun <laughs> or a wrap um, um I, I was, I'm sorry, I just got distracted because we're the complete, my wife and I, she will not 
eat any leftovers. <laughs> She's like, no, we had it yesterday. There's no reason to eat it today. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, oh. all for me. So, so you married well. Yeah, You're well, a lucky you man. know, yeah, this works. <laughs> this works. Some aspects work. There, there's a lot of recipes that, that I wanted to try in this book. There's a lot of very simple recipes. Um, there's a recipe for fish finger sandwich, mm. which I think looks so good. Yeah. So good. That's I love a fish finger sandwich. <laughs> and this looks so nice with the um, dressing thing. So that's what makes it, obviously. Oh, is my the, God. It's the dill salsa. Yeah. You know, it's obviously not a salsa. Salsa is not Nordic. <laughs> yeah. But it's got a lot of punchy flavors. A lot of, uh, Using a lot of ingredients that you might have in your cupboard or your fridge already, like gherkins, you know, lemons, herbs. Uh, it's a really good sauce and it's very versatile you can use it for so many things I put it in with the fish fingers deliberately I knew that would be a contentious recipe with some readers you know occasionally you get the snarky review on Amazon going there's a recipe for fish fingers on toast or sardines on toast one star yeah <laughs> you know, there's always one yeah but it, I um, think it's so you know this is actually the things that I love most is that you say you know fish finger sandwich is such a personal thing yeah and everyone you know Am I right? Everyone has that yeah, every so often. Exactly. And <laughs> it's just so lovely to have a different take on it and actually to feel that you're not alone. <laughs> Aww, so nice In your to fish hear. finger love. Oh, that's so <laughs> honestly, it's so I mean my so one of my best friends, Nina, um, I lived with her for six months after I finished at Leeds. And she assumed I was some high-flying chef who loved to create, you know, foams and <laughs> like really, really technical dishes. And um, one of our first dishes that we had together was fish fingers on, <laughs> on toast with some sweet potato chips. I think I, you know, I, I did chop up a sweet potato and put it in the oven and roast it. But that was one of our first dishes together when we lived uh, together. And she was just astounded that I could be so trashy. <laughs> she was like, I cannot believe you eat fish fingers. But of course, she loved it because who doesn't love fish fingers? No, it's know? impossible. You have to be a horrible person not to like fish fingers. Yeah, no, I think it's biologically <laughs> impossible not to love. Again, what I really like about this book, the more than a collection of recipes and more than kind of cook this or cook that, there is sort of an idea behind it or maybe a suggestion for a way of life and a way of thinking in the kitchen. Like you said, you know, buy this, use it for this, and then you can use it for that. This is your leftovers. Cook mm -hmm. a big batch, keep it. And it's kind of um, kind of a synthesis between very old food culture and how we live today, mm -hmm. which is a really tough balancing act. And I think this book has done it very, very well. I mean, Thank I've you. so enjoyed uh, reading through it and actually coming down to doing this talk, which is, you know, the, the I think a lot of you have been here before and know that this is our kind of you know, a way of kicking ourselves in the butt and actually cooking from the new book and doing the things <laughs> that we love because you always, you know, never get round to it. And this was such a lovely process for us because there was so much to choose from. Oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> there was so much to choose from. Uh, shall I tell these guys what we cooked today? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> uh, we did the green gazpacho, mm -hmm. which is lovely. It's so delicious, especially for this time of year. Mm -hmm. We did the chickpea and carrot salad, which is so fresh and zingy. These courgette fritters, mm -hmm. 
are going to be a staple of this deli, I think. Because oh, they're so, so delicious. Oh my gosh. They're, they've worked so well for us. And we did the little Buckeyes. Am I pronouncing it <gasps> the right? The Buckeyes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Where, where so, did this come from? So, I, I mean. Because this is a good <laughs> dessert for one. This is, a, this is a good dessert for one. You can actually scale it down to make less. Um, so, the Buckeyes. You don't want to make less. No. Oh. <laughs> so, I have. So, my mother's half American, and I have grown up with a love of Reese's peanut butter chocolate cups which are the trashiest American candy I mean they're full of god knows what they're terrible for you but and the they, flavor and they like not allowed to call them chocolates anymore oh I mean it's like co- cocoa flavored confectionery or something yeah palm oil I mean yeah. who knows what is in it sorry Reese's if you're listening um, don't sue us yeah don't sue us uh, so I l- actually really like trashy chocolate like Snickers as well because of peanuts um, and so I have this thing about peanut butter and I was trying to incorporate a way of, of doing something with a jar of peanut butter that I always have in my kitchen because I love it so much into a dessert and I thought oh peanut butter ice cream no probably t- too technical and also who's going to have an ice cream maker generally as a, as a solo cook most people wouldn't um, and then I came upon this this Ohio so it's from Ohio it's the Buckeye tree which is I think the, na- the state tree of Ohio randomly <laughs> and it's essentially a nut that is, well, it's an r- a round brown nut that has um, a very pretty uh, b- border on the, uh, on the bottom of it. So sort of like dark brown border. And it looks like a buckeye. And some genius in Ohio came up with the idea of mixing peanut butter with uh, icing sugar, vanilla, and I mean, there's various recipes that you can follow, but essentially it's very, very simple. You just whiz it up in the blender, um, shape it into these little balls, and then dunk it into very good dark chocolate. I mean, the darker the better, to my mind. Yeah. So like, it's basically a Reese's peanut butter cup, but with good quality ingredients. And um, and then you pierce you pierce them so they have like a little a, nut a little nut. Yeah. Um, so they're they're a bit eccentric. I, I I shoehorn that in there because I love the name Buckeye. I just think it's a really it's very American and it was a way of using peanut butter. Buckeye, yeah. Buckeye. like nudie, which is the other running joke because I just like saying nudie because I'm very childish. <laughs> <laughs> like this is nudie yeah. in my book. <laughs> you have a little giggle for yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, really. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the Buckeyes are so easy to make and again make yeah. a nice gift because they, they keep in the fridge so you can you can make them up and then present them as a gift to someone if you don't want to eat them all <laughs> yourself um <laughs> which you, you do because you you they do. are delicious um they're great with a cup of coffee you know and just a strong cup of black coffee black coffee yeah, yeah to yeah. cut through all the deliciousness um yeah. yeah but again just an example of something you can do that doesn't require a lot of equipment i didn't want people to feel like i mean i've read so many cookbooks over the years where you have to buy you know magimex or you have to buy some fancy piece of kit and I just think it's not it's not how I cook you know I don't have lots of fancy kit. I don't have a thermo mix in my kitchen you know I wish but no, I mean it's y- you can do a lot with just a chopping board yeah. a good knife you know a whisk a couple of bowls it doesn't take very much to create good food you are no longer cooking for one you got married on the fly <laughs> I did I did uh, as, as someone pointed out to my husband when the book was published in January before we before we got married in secret, we didn't tell anyone we were getting married. Is this because you didn't want to disrupt the book sales? Um, <laughs> no. Well, no. Uh, yeah. She's married. 
<laughs> That's actually a good question. I mean, I never think of the book as a singleton's book because I wasn't single and because I still value cooking for myself. I mean, we don't always spend, we're not always together, not every evening, so I'll cook for myself if I'm not with him. Um, I should add, we don't actually live together. It's a very unconventional <laughs> marriage. <laughs> we're about to live together, but uh, we've, we've done everything backwards. Um, as someone pointed out to Mungo, my husband, when the book was published, this is this is this sounds like the most elaborate um, breakup <laughs> notice that yeah. your girlfriend's trying to tell yeah. you something. By the way, <laughs> yeah, by the way, she wrote a book on I wrote, her one. Yeah, I wrote you a little book. You're you dispatched. might find this useful in <laughs> yeah. the next few months. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations, you're solo. <laughs> um, but yes, we got married <laughs> instead. Um. Are we going to feed these guys here? But before we do, does anyone have any questions that they want to ask Sig? <laughs> what's your favorite dish? I My just repeat this. Oh. Your, what's your favorite dish from Solo? My favorite dish from Solo. After the fish finger sandwich? After obviously. the fish finger salad uh, sandwich. Oh, salad, that would be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to write this down? I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I tested a lot of the recipes in the summer last year, so I'm particularly drawn to all the summery, lighter dishes. Um, I, I hate saying it's my favorite because I have about three that are my favorite, so I'll give you three, because um, it's like saying you're a favorite child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my top three would be the, I love the chilled soba noodle dish, which is very, it's a Japanese summertime dish, which you can make and keep in the, in the fridge, take to work. You know, it's so delicious and so fresh and zingy, lots of flavors, lots of umami. Um, you can play around with the herbs that you use. It's a really easy dish to make. I love soba noodles. Um, and then the other one would, again, noodles, uh, would be the Vietnamese noodle salad, which is also lots of flavor, lots of like lime and, and Thai fish sauce and you know, punchy flavors, peanuts, there's salted peanuts in there, <laughs> going back to the peanuts. Um, and then my third one would probably be uh, the, uh, so the Spanish, I love Spanish food. Um, and in fact, I'm thinking back to when we did the photo shoot with Patsy. It's one of my favorite photos from the book. It is the um, gambas al ajillo, the garlic prawns, which probably one of the top 10 dishes of all time in my mind, because I love prawns and I love garlic and I love all those flavors. It's so easy to make um, if you get some good juicy prawns. And again, this time of year with a cold glass of beer and some garlic prawns, I mean, there's, no, there's nothing better. It's like holiday. You can, you're on holiday basically when you have that dish. <laughs> I would never include a token dish either that was sort of speaking to that maybe vogue for clean eating or, you know, or, or something that felt like it was health conscious. I mean, courgettini. Courgettini. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I like courgettes, you know, but I like them fried. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, my dears, please join me in giving her a big, big hand and yeah. thank you for coming tonight. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Honey and Coke. We hope you enjoyed it, even if you didn't get to try the food. I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. That'll be really, really great for us. This show is expertly produced by Hester Kahn, music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk, or follow us on our social media at honeyandco. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.